Open your Bibles if you would. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to take me a while to get used to this space and the distance and the arrangement, so bear with me. Um, Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to conclude our study in Ephesians this morning. Um, and before finishing it out, I would like to say just a little bit about where we're going. Um, we are not that far from Thanksgiving and Christmas, so of course we'll be addressing uh, those things as, as that time comes, just five weeks until Thanksgiving, wow. Um, but before we get there, we've got some Sundays in the middle, and I want to do something um, never done before that I, that I can recall. Um, we're going to focus not on the text itself, but on something about the text. We're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed. And for those that may not know what the Apostles' Creed is, uh, just a little bit of a heads up. It was a statement of doctrinal truth, the essential doctrine of the Christian faith, what the early church fathers beginning in about the 4th century felt was necessary for believers to agree upon. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff we can disagree about and still be in, in wonderful fellowship. There's a lot of things in points of theology or doctrine that we can have serious disagreement about and still get along. But there are some essential things. And so very early in the church, it was decided that it was necessary uh, to state the essential truths. Now, some people will ask, well, why do we need that? Why can't we just say we believe the Bible? Well, that's because a lot of people say that. And, and the real question is not just whether or not you believe the Bible, but what you be believe the Bible says and what you believe the Bible means. So the Apostles' Creed, which is, by the way, is it part of those brochures that we have printed out over on the cafe side, uh, introducing our church to people. It is our statement of faith, that the only doctrinal statement that we as a fellowship uh, promote. Uh, it, it's a necessary statement of the essentials, nothing more than the essentials but the essentials. And so we're just going to talk about that for a few weeks because it is, I believe, uh, extremely important because it talks about where we stand. What are the issues? What are the truths for which we stand? And of course, the Ephesian letter, we've been talking about that. So that's enough about that. Let's go ahead and look to the Ephesian letter. And again, we're in chapter 6, the last chapter, and we'll finish with this beginning in verse 18. We're going to read 18 through the end of the chapter. With all prayer and petition, Paul writes... Pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly even as I ought to speak. But that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen. Amen. Did somebody come move that? I thought it moved on its own. Wow. Ooh. All right. Well, I'm glad to know that was somebody that did that. Okay. So we're wrapping up our, our study in the letter to the Ephesian church. Um, last week, we talked about two realities that the Ephesian church and we, by extension, uh, face. The first reality is that in our walk, in our Christian experience, uh, which we live, our attempt to live as an expression of who we are in Christ, 
We first started talking about who we are and then how we should walk. Well, in that walk, we are opposed. It's not an effort that is without uh, resistance. We're opposed by the evil one. The evil one and his minions, his hosts, right? Who would deter us from serving Christ? Who would convince us, if possible, that we are not the people that God says we are? Um, to make the Christian, ta the Christian life as, as difficult as possible, and if possible, even to uh, ruin our testimony. We're opposed in our walk. That was the first thing we noted last week. And then secondly, that God has given us a means by which we can respond. So we're all about walking out our faith, walking in a way that demonstrates who we are in Christ. In that walk, we're resisted, and Paul said there's a way by which we respond. And we talked about the full armor of God, the panoplia. And what we noted was that that is a response that works best in the body of Christ. Everything about that whole passage talked about responding as a body. The body strengthening one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, being faithful to one another, building that bond of trust. And we talked about the visual of the phalanx and the soldiers packed as tightly together as possible, that no break could be found. That's the response when evil comes against us as followers of Christ. Well, this morning, um, we're going to turn our attention to the closing verses of the letter. And what we're going to find in those closing verses is just a continuing application of what Paul's been saying all along. Uh, in many ways, the, the end of this letter loops right back to the beginning and summarizes everything that's been said all along. And so let's take a look at what these verses say. And in these seven verses, uh, Paul's going to speak about three things. First, he's going to talk about prayer. That is speaking to God. And then he's going to talk about communication, speaking with one another. And then finally, he's going to talk about blessing one another, how we do that. So let's, let's look at these three. The first, prayer. Um, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. He's talking about communication with God. That's the first thing. That'll occupy most of our thought this morning. Now, this sentence is both grammatically and based on its subject, a continuation of all the previous verses. It's not as though Paul talks about, you know, spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare and spiritual armor and all that stuff, and now he's done and we're going to talk about prayer. No, both grammatically and thematically, it's an extension. This passage, this portion does not stand on its own, right? The kind of prayer that Paul's talking about here is a confrontational kind of prayer. We pray this way when we confront evil, right? And he, makes, he says several things that we should note. First, that this is a continuation of what he's also said. But it's also important to note that he notes two things about prayer, or two kinds of prayer, if you will. And it's something that we usually miss. I know I've, I've kind of missed it myself until I stopped and read it a little more slowly. Because he talks, and he does this twice in this passage, he talks about prayers and supplications. So like prayers and supplications. And we get so used to reading, you know, prayers and supplication that it becomes like one word, right? It's not. It's, it's two different things. So let's take just a minute and talk about that. The first is this word prayer, kind of if it can be said generic, it's the generic word for prayer. Prozachi is the word. And it just means to come before God. That's what the essence of prayer is. It is simply to come before God and to speak to God, which requires 
a recognition of who he is. That, I think, is the most fundamental understanding um, that we have to come to in prayer. And, and I'll be, I'll be uh, uh, real honest, real honest here, uh, it's kind of a challenge for me um, because I talk to myself a lot, right? And um, I really am glad we have those you know, cell phone earbuds because people sometimes assume I'm on that and not talking to myself. But I do, I talk to myself a lot. I just, it's a habit I have. Um, and I have to, I have to really take the time to sometimes go, John, are you actually praying now? Are you praying to God or are you talking to yourself? Because you get a lot better response talking to God than talking to yourself. And so it's extremely important that we make that conscious notation. That's all it is. It's a conscious notation that when we are praying, that God's our focus. It's as simple as that. That's what prayer is. Nothing, nothing more than that. The second word is a little bit more challenge, I think, challenging, I think, and that's this word supplication. And the word is the easy, the easy. And um, it's, it's different. Whereas prayer, Prosev Key, speaks of the, of the object of prayer or the focus of prayer being the person of God, in supplication, the focus of the prayer is on the need. And, and what's important about that is just like prayer itself requires a recognition of who God is and who we are and the vast difference that there is, and our utter dependence upon him because of who he is and the inadequacy of ourselves because of who we are. Just because that first step requires we recognize God for who he is, the second step is really a recognition of us for who we are, and that is need. To truly come to terms with, to recognize and be honest about our needs. Supplication is simply a prayer that talks about our needs. It requires a recognition. Now, there are many kinds of prayers, and it's good that we be conscious of that. There's prayers of worship and meditation. Um, there's prayers of simple waiting. How many have tried that one? Where you just come before God and you take the moment to recognize who God is and you talk about God, who you are, and then you just sit there and listen. It's not easy. It requires a lot of effort. It's hard work to just sit there and wait, but it can be incredibly powerful. Lord, what would you say to me in this moment? And then just open yourself for that kind, of, that kind of experience. There's a prayer of confession. Confession, not always sin, confession of truth, of just agreeing with God and truth. But there's also that prayer that begins with saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I want to receive my sight. As the disciples cried out, Lord, save me. Just a straightforward acknowledgement that we are so absolutely inadequate to save ourselves. That's the prayer of supplication. Or bringing another before the Lord. So adequately, or so coming to terms how inadequate we are in ourselves. Paul would have the Ephesian church fearlessly, boldly, right in the face of opposition, and I would say again, this is a church that is right in the middle of, if not the most pagan, one of the most pagan cities in the entire empire, where they were actively opposed by one of the most ungodly cults. Paul would say, in the midst of that, I want you to boldly bring your prayers before the Lord. Boldly bring your worship. Boldly bring your adoration. Boldly bring your meditation, your waiting, your confession, and yes, your needs. Just, just lay it all out for him.
And then he goes on to give them the how and the what for and the, and the details, right? The first thing he talked about was establishing the need to pray and, and recognize the connection between prayer and the conflict we're in, how to recognize different kinds of prayer. But then he says how to do it when we get there. He said pray in the Spirit. Now that's one that causes a lot of us to hear at the back of our neck and stand up. Because what's he going to talk about now? Right? He's going to talk about that praying in tongues thing, right? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's prayer in the Spirit. But that's not what he's really talking about here. Yeah, that's a powerful experience. Um, I do it, right? Just so you all know. Paul did it. Um, one thing about Paul's praying in tongues, um, he makes this really interesting comment in the Corinthian letters. He said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. Why did he have to say that? Because they hadn't heard him. See, for Paul, prayer in tongues... Was, was, was something he did in private. And, and we can talk about that. We can talk about the propriety of, of praying in tongues. But that's not the subject being dealt with here. That's a valid subject to discuss, but that's not the point here. The point when Paul is making here is to pray with an absolute dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and whether you pray in tongues or you don't, you can pray with an absolute dependence, recognizing, Lord, I cannot do even this. I cannot even come before you. I cannot utter your name in sincerity and truth. I cannot commute, commune with you without the present help of your Spirit abiding in with, within me. The Bible speaks frequently of the Spirit of God abiding in us, abiding with us. And that's more than just we're His address. That is, he identifies with us. He communes with us. He is known by us. He reveals himself to us. And he acknowledges us to be his family. As I said, this all loops back to the very beginning of the letter when we talked about we're adopted as children. We're citizens of the kingdom. Members of the household. To pray in the spirit is to pray as a adopted child citizen of the kingdom, member of the household, with the rights and the responsibilities that come with it. He says to pray in the Spirit. It's a prayer that acknowledges our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to pray. He says when we should pray. He says in every season, in every situation. Pray without ceasing. Now, I know, again, people kind of go, well, how can I do that? I have to sleep at least a few hours out of the day, and I have my job. Well, that's true. But there's two things to note there. One, he's not saying that you necessarily should be praying 24 hours a day, although that is possible. We'll talk about that in a moment. But rather, rather that we pray regardless of the condition. When he says pray at all times, he's, pray, he's saying pray in all seasons. And the word suggests all situations. So whether we be like we are in the United States now, where we can gather for prayer and it's not the, we're not putting our lives at risk or somewhere like Iran, drastically different circumstance, drastically different season. Things here may change. Paul said regardless of the circumstances, keep at it. But having said that, there is a sense in which we do pray, we can pray, without ceasing, even when we're asleep. And it all depends on how you start, right? Now, I'm just going to tell you how I do it, and I don't consider myself to be an expert. I don't consider myself to be an ideal model. I certainly don't do this as I should. 
But what I have found for myself is to begin the day with a season of prayer that focuses on the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus, tell us how to pray, he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, pray the Lord's Prayer. But not simply rotely or as we've perhaps memorized it, but taking time to pause about each and every portion of that prayer and to collect under that prayer all, all that's involved. Again, to begin by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What did I just do? I just covered the first part of prayer to understand who he is. I'm affirming who he is. He alone is holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your, what am I doing? I'm prioritizing my day. And I, you, know, I can, you can bring, well, you can bring 90% of what you want to pray about out of those first two, under those first two clauses of the Lord's Prayer. Holy is your name. You're the source of everything I need. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That took care of all my needs. I can stack all my needs under the perfect execution of his will. So I lay that foundation, and then through the day as I'm going along, and, and something comes to mind, a need comes to mind, I can just go right back to what I've already prayed and think about it. And once I've got my brain started in that direction, you know, we all know how easy it is for our brain to go in a direction we don't want it to go, right? And our brain seems so adept at that. Well, if we start our head in the right direction, you know, first thing in the morning, then chances are better our head is likely to go that same direction later in the day. This is the reason why I pray in the morning, right? Just, just speaking for myself, if I wait till the evening, it's usually too late. The day's already shot. But if we begin by laying a foundation of prayer with a dependence on the, on the Spirit of God to not only allow me to pray, but to direct my prayer and to facilitate my prayer in such a way that it's pleasing to God. And that's, that's all by asking. I just ask Him to do that. Then I lay a foundation, and through the day, I will find myself praying, even if I'm not doing it consciously. And I know when this works really well, like I say, I don't hold myself up as like a paragon of prayer or anything. I just find this is what works for me when I'm smart enough to do it. I know when it's working well because I'll wake up in the middle of the night praying. And if you've ever had that experience, the first time it happens, it kind of freaks you out. Oh my God, what was that all about? But you learn to find a comfort in it and you learn to find a peace in it. And it's all a gift. That's why I'm not about to say, you know, take the following three steps and it'll happen. No. But it's all, it's all born of a relationship with Christ. It's all born of a relationship with his spirit. But we have to lay the foundation first to give this thing something to work with. So he says, pray in the spirit. That's how we're supposed to pray, right? And he says, be on the alert. Again, that means without sleeping. And he's not referring to physical sleep there. Because the, that incredible experience of waking up and you're praying in your sleep and it sounds like a dream, but now you're talking to God. We have no control over that. All we can do is let, is let that happen when it does, and it's a blessed experience when it does. But to be deliberately in prayer without sleeping, I, I think is more of a reference to spiritual sleep. And the Bible speaks to that in, mutual, in, in numerous places. Those who just kind of walk through life inattentive to the matters of importance. We are so easily distracted by things that really don't matter. And I'm, that's, that's me as much as anybody else. So easily distracted by things that are in the long run irrelevant. No, to keep our minds, our thoughts on the things that are important 
so that we're not caught unaware. You know, 1 Chronicles 12.32 is a tremendous passage of Scripture. It speaks of the son of Issachar. And it just makes this passing observation. It says they were men who understood the times and knew what should be done. God, that that might be a description of us. People who understand the times and know what must be done. Boy, we're in a political season and everybody is even more ginned up about it than usual, right? Well, there are, we should be participants in the political process. I, I don't question that at all. That's part of being a good citizen, to be a participant in the political process. But to understand the political process will never solve our problems. It will, I don't care who wins the election. It will not solve this, our spiritual problems. The answer has to come from the people of God taking the reins in prayer. Praying without ceasing. Verses 19 and 20, Paul applies this truth, and this is something that I really appreciated. He says in verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly even as I ought to speak. This is like... This is like Michael Jordan showing up at a pickup basketball game and saying, can you guys give me a few pointers here? I really need it. I really need some help. Paul saying, I need you folks to pray for me because I can't even open my mouth. I can't, I can't preach the gospel. I can't do the job that I've been in charge to do. He's given me the task of being his ambassador, though I be in chains. He was sitting in a Roman prison, prison someplace, most likely Rome. I cannot do the job unless you Ephesians are praying for me. What a statement about the importance of prayer that Paul would ask the Ephesian church to pray for him. Pray for me. Pray. Talk to God about yourselves and include me in the conversation. Talk to God always. When you're talking about God, talk about me, he says, right? All kinds of prayer. And then he finally says in verse 21 and 22, talk to one another. Uh, verse 21, but that you may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tichius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, that he may comfort your heart. So Paul said, in light of all that's gone on, I'm sitting here in prison. I know you're worried about me. I want to send Tikius to you so he'll be able to calm your hearts. You will know that I'm doing okay. It's probably house arrest at this point. We're really not sure. But he is in prison. He can't travel freely about. I want you to know, just to calm your hearts, that um, I'm okay, right? How important of a message is that? If Paul is a prisoner in Rome, he is 1,500 miles away from Ephesus. He sends a man... 1,500 miles to give that message, I'm okay. Evidently, that message carried some weight. Evidently, that message was important. Because anyway you make that trip from Rome to Ephesus, you are risking your life. It's, it's not an entirely safe trip. It's not an inexpensive trip. And it most certainly is not a convenient trip. 1,500 miles by land or almost that far by sea. And yet Paul understood the Ephesian church needed that reassurance that he was well. Everything about this passage is, is all about communication. You know, we use that word so much, communication. We talk about communication. Um, we are the connected generation, we're told. But the point of the, uh, the question is, are we really connected or not? Despite all of our devices and all that stuff we have, are we really uh, connected or not. You know, COVID taught us so, so much. Um, 
I think one of the things that COVID taught us was how important our connections are. How important, not just you know, the connections in writing and the connections in voice, but the face-to-face, -face, how important physical proximity is. But I think what's even more revelatory, even more significant, is not just that we found out how important that kind of connection in writing, in speech, in physical proximity to one another. We not only learned how important that is, is the fact we had to learn how important that is. As a culture, we seem to have forgotten that. And that in all of the, the decisions that were made, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, you know, to debate the merit of any, any decision per se, but it's in all of the decisions that were being made, the importance of proximity simply got pushed to the side. Yeah, well, that, that's not a factor right now. Or yeah, that's important, but it's not this important. As a culture, we've had to relearn the lesson of how important our real connection is. The real connectivity between people, especially the people of God. So Paul says, I'm going to send Tikias 1,500 miles just so you'll know face to face that I'm doing well. That he can bless you and that he can encourage you. Right? The last thing Paul says in this letter is a gift. The last thing he does is extend a gift. He says, peace and love and grace. It's not a simple salutation, you know, like we sign a letter sincerely. You ever stop to think what that actually means? No, we just sign it and go on, right? That's how we sign a letter. That's not what Paul's doing here. No, listen to what Paul says. He says in verse uh, 22, 21, 23, I'm sorry, verse 23. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. He extends three gifts to them. First, peace. Remember I've said before, um, pay attention to the little words. He says, peace be to all the brethren. It's an extension. It's an offering. It's a gift, right? We all have that ability. They're not simply words. To insincerity, with eye contact, to say to a brother or a sister, peace be unto you is a very real gift of something incredibly precious. The, pre, the peace, if you will, the peace that only is present with the power of the Spirit of God. I mean, it can be just a word. But when a, when, when a child of God, animated by, filled by, made alive by the Spirit of God, says to another, peace be with you, there's a transmission of something there. I don't begin to understand it, but it's there. Peace be to all the brethren. And love from God. Many years ago, I was listening to a, a theological you know, discussion between some people, and somebody referred to the infinite grace of God. And another person in the discussion corrected them. Said, no, God's grace is not infinite. I said, what do you mean God's grace isn't infinite? He says, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God's grace is infinite. Therefore, his grace isn't infinite. And I remember thinking, but if it's God's grace and God is infinite, anything that's his is infinite. Yes, his grace is infinite because it's born of his infinite character. Even so, 
His love is infinite. It's born of his infinite character. And if there's anything that dwells at the very essence of who God is, we know what it is. It's love. Because the text says God is love. Nothing else so clearly identified with his character anywhere in Scripture as love. So we have this, you have this infinite source of love. It cannot be empty. It cannot, it cannot run dry. Not like the well on our houses, you know. Whenever the water pressure drops a little bit, I panic. Like, ah, is my well going down? Can't afford that. No. There is no limit. It cannot be exhausted. So as his children, we have the opportunity to extend simply with eye contact and a few sincere words to tap into the love that is his and extend it to a brother or sister. What a gift. What a gift. Love from God. And grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Yes, his love is infinite and his grace is infinite and we are we have the privilege of extending his favor his blessing his goodness to one another why would we neglect that why would we slow to do that you know most of us and i'll wrap up with this most of us work pretty hard at meeting the uh, the physical needs of our lives and we need to it's, it's reasonable and um, most of us have been blessed to enjoy quite a bit more than what we actually need, if we're honest. Um, but what effort do we put into the things that are truly important? How much effort do we actually put into the things that are truly, and if I can use the phrase transcendent, the things that go beyond the limitations of this life? Um, there, there's a, a couple that, that Pastor Joyce and I have very deliberately modeled our lives after. She's got a, a cousin and, and his wife, and they're in, in ministry. And the thing about them, I've never heard Bob preach. I have no idea how Bob preaches. I've never heard him preach. Um, I actually don't ever really recall even seeing them in a formal you know, ministry situation. But one thing that... that um, it become, becomes very evident if you're around them at all is their consistent investment in people. Whatever they're doing, it's like with somebody, investing in somebody. They have blessed our family immeasurably, especially when we were overseas, always investing in us as people because, and that's brilliant, they're really good investors. Because that's the only thing they're taking beyond the grave. Relationships and what we accomplish in our relationships, the real connections we have with one another, that is the only thing we're taking beyond the grave. And as I said, that's smart investment. Father, I thank you for this beautiful letter um, that you've given us. It's, it's an amazing father. Here you have Paul sitting in a Roman prison in the first century writing to people in Asia Minor about their issues and that couldn't be any different culturally than... We couldn't create a, a more different uh, cultural situation. Um, and yet, Lord, we, I, 
oh, I believe, Lord, it still speaks to our lives so clearly, Father, that we would be good stewards of the truth you give us in your word. We'd understand who we are, Father, your children, citizens of your kingdom, members of the royal household. That's us, Lord. Father, you've called us to walk in a way that reflects that, that demonstrates that, shows it to the world around us, Lord. Father, you've called us to be conscious of the, of the resistance. You instruct us to be conscious of the resistance that will come against us, Father, and to know that we respond to that best by responding in community, Father. Relying on one another, being open and honest with one another, and helping one another. And Father, you have given us the ability to bless one another, first by praying for one another, Father, and in the words we speak. Father, I just pray we'd be good stewards of these truths as we walk throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.